should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because trepanation seemed like too much effort. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who is not too cool for school, but he is too bougie for this boogie. Benedict! (laughs) What's a stupid internet discourse of years past that you kind of miss? Ooh. Well, I think I... I, Honestly, I... mm. So this is gonna... I don't really miss it, but I miss. The, <laughs> well, I don't miss it. You I miss, miss laughing at it. No, I miss the context of it. In the, mm-hmm. like, I think it's simpler times. I wish we could still be talking about whether creationism should be in schools or not. Oh God, like, yeah. It was much easier when that was the great school debate of our time. Yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah, it. You know, and yeah, and like I was a bit like of there an was asshole, a golden zone atheist at the time. right right before Trump came in, like at the end of the Obama years. Yeah, but before anything, it seemed like there was any real possibility of Republicans ever winning anything ever again. Where we could just talk about stuff like that. Like dumb shit. Just dumb shit. Just yeah. like, there was no real, there's no real risk of, you know, obviously there's some you know Christian nationalism issues we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have any real risk of overrunning all of our schools with creationism and all that stuff. Although it seems more like maybe they do have a possibility well, of doing creationism, that now. Creationism <laughs> generally less powerful than racism as a tool, and that's yeah. what they've defaulted back to. So. Yep, yep, yep. But I, I get it. I'm with it. I feel yeah. you. I was going to go I, with I the... Don't, uh, I, don't, I don't miss myself from those days, because I was more of a strident dickhead about it. But mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Go on, I was going to say the heritage, not hate uh, statue discourse. That's okay. what I was going to go for because those were so great. Just with, it was so dumb. The that heritage, being the not Confederate hate. statue stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so dumb. You know, somebody will pop off with uh, states' rights, and you know, the states' rights for what is the response? Mm-hmm. It's just the, the greatest. It's just the I miss that. Love, you love that goose. I managed. To, I've managed to work that goose into uh, today's episode, <laughs> the normal conversation. No, no, into today's episode. There's a bit oh, where really? Mark Levin says something, and then I've written goose for what motherfucker somewhere in the chat. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Anyways, Benedict. Uh, <laughs> Kevin still has a bit of COVID, as you may be able to hear, but he's feeling much more, bit. much, much more healthy. Is maybe a little loopy on cough medicine, so he might mm. laugh more than usual. I'm not mm. being funnier than usual. He's just reacting better. It's okay. It's all Dayquil, not Nyquil. Okay, all right. So you're uh, not going to fall asleep. It's not our, it's not our after dark episode <laughs> yet, so I haven't pulled out the good stuff. <laughs> it's uh, you snoring while I'm at Kevin. <laughs> But anyways, Bennett, you probably know, but some people might not exactly what it is we do here on this program. And I will say, it's the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Bennett, start us off. Do you have a hot take for us? I do. It came out from our pre-episode conversation. I Mm. think Hugh Grant would have made a great (laughs) James Bond. no, no. No. Yeah, just can you no. imagine? He'd have been he'd have been so charming. It would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
That's that's not no uh, not hashtag not my bun hashtag not my bun no work on his body either and just like charming all the overtly uh, sexual. You know that brings up for me an up what will be an upcoming internet discourse, which oh, is the, the hashtag not my Captain America. Oh, is there another Captain? Yeah, America Yeah, there's coming? well okay. because the Falcon is now Captain uh, America. Okay, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Mackie, um, Anthony Mackie, um, and so I, I've already seen some of it in the comic book spaces. Uh, not the comic book spaces of the internet, the people who have purely watched the movies and never read the comics and haven't realized that Falcon has already been Captain America in You're the gonna comics. Get start, people are going to start saying, why can't Black Panther be white then? That's going to be the <laughs> argument. I, I, I but, promise you. <coughs> no, the great thing is the last time the Falcon was Captain America, they did this whole thing because it was like, I want to say it was like 2015, 2016-ish. So they had like in the comics... In the first couple pages, this thing where it was like a fake Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. And there were people literally tweeting, hashtag not my cat yeah, in America. That makes sense. And that's literally happening now. Yeah, literally yeah. happening no, just yeah. because it's a black guy. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Oh, it's great. It's really great. Um, but that's going to be another stupid thing coming soon. Yeah. What's your What's your hot take? Uh, my hot take this week, Benedict. If, uh, cough drops are scams. Okay. Um, I don't believe they actually work because they absolutely do, and you are 100% no. wrong. I've been sucking on cough drops nonstop for the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one in my mouth right now, mm-hmm. and I still cannot stop coughing. Well, so imagine how bad it would have been if you hadn't done that. You know what? I'm pretty sure it would have been just about the goddamn same. <laughs> or maybe if I just had a handful of butterscotch, probably would have done the same thing because I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is just sugar. It's just all I mean, about sugar. It's just about uh, yeah, uh, lubricating your throat. <laughs> is, uh, the I think the the, the goal here so yep there are many ways to is. do that is all i will say uh-huh anyways why don't we move on benedict what's on your bookshelf this week uh not a bookshelf but a tv show it's a british Ooh, you breaking the rules yeah i know um would i lie to you is a uh, a british tv show that's good fun they tried to remake it in america and it was shit as always happens but yeah. it's basically uh oh please everyone binges the american office not the british one yeah because they have no taste it's a panel <laughs> show <laughs> This is a panel also because Rick, because Ricky Gervais is off putting. Well, yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's a panel show um, that basically they they give you a card to read, and it's either the truth or a lie, and that you're seeing it for the first time as you read it, and you have to defend it and make up a story around it. It's just a televised parlor game, but it's good fun. Mm. It's on BritBox. You can get a week's worth of free trial on BritBox <laughs> with our promo <laughs> <Yeah>. code. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Britbox, reach out if you want to give us a promo. No, oh, yeah. we do not do ads. Go fuck That's yourself. True. I would do ads for Britbox, though. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> in fact, I just did. Anyway, would I lie to you? It's good fun. <laughs> um, yeah, and you get to see what like the professional comedian version of me would look like in, in David, <laughs> David Mitchell just being cynical about everything. <laughs> so think nice. me, but nice. funnier and more depressing. <laughs> nice. Uh, what about you? What's on your bookshelf? Uh, my bookshelf, I'm going with a video game. I know okay. I said, I think at the beginning of this year, this is going to be the, the year of the video games mm. for me, the computer games. Um, and I haven't really suggested many of them. No, I don't true. know why. But I have been playing. I mean, I think it's because unlike, you know, with anime where I can play it in the background and, and watch and stuff. You have to fully devote yourself. To yeah, you have to fully yeah. devote to video games. And I just haven't had time to go through as many as maybe I would have liked. But uh, this last week, being sick... <laughs> I took some time off work, uh, you know, cut my hours down, 
um, and uh, played a bunch of video games when I was just sitting in my my office at home, completely miserable, unable to move, coughing uncontrollably. So I'm suggesting a game I put in, according to Steam, uh, 30 hours on, uh, Iron Harvest. Oh, that's billable hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are not billable hours. Those are just hours of my misery. Iron Harvest, real-time strategy game. If you like something like Age of Empires, which is a game I love, uh, you'll probably enjoy Iron Harvest. It's a really great real-time strategy, uh, real steampunky, fighting with uh, big clunky mechanical robots and stuff. It's a good time. Okay. Anyways, housekeeping uh, this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on social media at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, only update I really have is thank you to everyone who expressed their concern for my well-being. <coughs> Which there were several. Yeah, um, not me. I was not amongst them. No, no. You were just sarcastic this whole game. <laughs> Hope you enjoy your cheese, asshole. Uh, That's way too much <coughs> Why do cheese curds exist? What the fuck is a cheese, cheese curds? Cheese curds are fantastic. I'm sure they are. But what cheese curds happening? are fucking fantastic. Okay, it's deep fried cheese. No, How can you not like that? They don't deliver it deep fried, though. I've just Now I've got Wait, more cheese curds. In were there fridge. cheese curds in yeah. that basket I yeah. sent you? Yeah. Okay, I was unaware of that. I just knew it was called the Cheddar Lover's Basket. There's so much cheddar. It's all cheddar. <laughs> There's six different cheddars in my fridge at the moment as, as a result of Kevin's fever dreams. Yeah, basically, it was a mix of that and the fact that you were impossible to buy presents for. Mm, um, I don't believe that, so that's fine. <coughs> you're very difficult to buy I'm presents sure. for. You could simply ask what I yeah, want. It's funner to surprise you. Sure. Uh, uh, but, uh, so, uh, thank you to everyone who expressed concern for my well-being, uh, and because, again, I was in a fever dream for all of the last week, I don't have any people to add to the Spooky World, New World Order or anything, so rather than adding anyone, adding anyone in particular, all of you, all of you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. It's like the Time Magazine, everyone is <laughs> the, the one with the mirror. The is you. <laughs> yep. Uh, so if you would like to become part of our New World Spooky World Order, of course, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patient, or just get my attention with something good. With all that out of the way, Benedict, we continue our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin, the cherry flavoring of right-wing <laughs> pundits. Do you not like cherry flavoring? I despise cherry right. flavoring. But with you a like passion. cherries. <laughs> I like berry. I just cherry flavoring is bad. It doesn't taste like cherries. It's just it's just awful. The medicine flavoring. That's what I'm talking about. It does, yeah. The medicine, medicine flavoring. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh anyways, Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this read <laughs> Let me try that again. As yeah. I, try, I try and find the start of the chapter. We're struggling to get yeah. back into the rhythm That's of it fine. this week. I... <laughs> as I blow my nose into the microphone. Well, Kevin, this week we read the first third or so of chapter six. Propaganda, censorship, half and third. subversion. Yeah, yeah. half Asia third. Propaganda, censorship, and subversion. In which Mark goes off on the press, but in a really, really weird way. Yeah. Is it weird or is it the same exact complaints we have heard oh, from yeah. every single yeah, Republican yeah. ever? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, it's weird quite... with the like 1920s quotations he takes from people complaining about the media. Yeah, it's weird in that way. Yeah, 
Because then well, he's I like, and this say... applies to the modern day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's exactly strange. Also, doing like, this, when but... exactly do you think the golden age of media was? <laughs> right! That was a question I had as I was reading this. But, Benedict, uh, I will start us off this week. I have a Mark Levin clip for us. Well, hold on. Um, Are we doing alternate chapter titles, or is that later? I was going to do the clip, and then we can do alternate chapter Because I actually titles. wrote one. <laughs> okay, well, Benedict, why don't you give it to us? What is your alternate chapter title it this is. week? Chapter six, a fundamental misunderstanding of what I myself do for a living. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, I, on Fox News, have never watched Fox News. Uh, mine is, damn you, socialist Joe Scarborough. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. do the clip. And I, I mainly only picked this clip because I was surprised I managed to find a Joe Scarborough, or not a Joe Scarborough clip, a Mark Levin clip where he does not yell once. This is entirely... <laughs> non-yelling Mark Levin clip. Is so. he like whisper yelling or what's happening? No, well, let's he's just, just... Let's just hear it. I think fine. he's tired. I think he's tired. Okay. I, aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Judge knows. He's smart oh, wow. enough to know. He was a political appointee in the Bush Justice Department, it appears. Of course, I never heard of him before, but so be it. That says more about you. So this judge, who he's about to spend the next five minutes talking about, he has never heard of before. Do you think he's going to speak very authoritatively about this judge despite I, that I, fact? I, I do. I do. Yeah. yeah I would, that's, that would be my guess. Yeah. This judge, uh, Nichols, one second, he, uh, he knows full well, Carl Nichols, what's going on with this committee. His name's not Helen Keller. His name's Carl Nichols. What? His, his name's not Helen Keller. It's Carl Nichols. Okay. Yeah. I... Seems smart enough having those clerkships. <laughs> He knows that that committee does it's not allow Jan due 6, process. Yeah. Uh, the January 6th committee is who he's talking yeah. about. Yeah. He knows that that committee does not allow opposition. He knows that committee yeah, does not allow... because they deliberately didn't... Yeah. <laughs> ...evidence that is exculpatory to an It would if they, if they to an individual. put any Republicans on it. He knows that committee does not allow contrary witnesses. Well, or if there was exculpatory evidence. Yeah, say, that's true. It's all pretty goddamn damning. Then all the attempts in the press of Republicans to rebut the January 6th stuff has been, man, just sad. Just sad. Yeah, it's all like, well, look over here. Yeah, well. Don't watch the hand, watch the eye. You know what they didn't tell you? That maybe Trump was right about the big lie. Oh, shit, yeah. I called it a lie. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> he knows that that committee operating in secret most of the time, has it's squelched televised. and censored information televised. that would be helpful to President Trump, to the American people, to Mr. Well, Bannon and others. He knows been that. On it then, shouldn't they? This judge knows exactly what's going on with this committee, that it is unprecedented in its makeup. By the way, Steve Bannon is facing, he's at trial for ignoring a subpoena. Yep. What evidence could possibly arise that would help Steve Bannon that the committee could be suppressing? He but was he, given like, a subpoena. He, he turned up to court on the wrong day. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, oh, we sent him a super secret subpoena that had a different date written on it. Like, that's yeah. the only thing. It's unprecedented and it's abuse of tax dollars. Oh, okay. Benghazi. And it's unprecedented in the kind of net that it is thrown all over the country. The what? Net? And that its yep. mission to investigate January 6th is actually a mission to investigate Donald Trump. Well, yeah. No that is obviously shit. the two are linked. 
Well, it's 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 mission to investigate the murder of this child is investigating the murder. Has not sought any information from Nancy Pelosi or, for my knowledge, a single Democrat. Not one. Not one Democrat. He knows this. Because you wouldn't believe Democrats. Again, he's still (coughs) talking about this judge, who I will remind you is overseeing a trial. For Steve Bannon ignoring oh, a okay. subpoena. Okay, okay, that's what he's doing. None of this is relevant. S- okay. Steve Bannon ignored a subpoena. He is being prosecuted for that. End yeah. of story. Now, if you're an individual and you're facing a Stalinist enterprise like this, Stalinist. Well, your name is Steve Bannon or anything else. It's irrelevant. That you're concerned because this committee is also colluding with the United States Department of Justice. Oh boy, the the government is colluding with the government. That's a real scary thing, how, isn't it? How dare they? Jesus. Okay. That, so that's that's what we got for today. We don't need any more than that. It's about two minutes of Mark Levin. We don't really need much more. But yeah, um, that's enough. That's quite enough. Yeah, that's quite enough of that. Uh, there was another one I didn't choose, and I got most of these. You know, most of my Mark Levin clips come from Media Matters. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one was him praising one of the crazy QAnon um, uh, people running for Congress. That woman from South Texas, Myra something. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweets a bunch of QAnon stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great one. So he's just whitewashing QAnon stuff now. Isn't that isn't that nice? But anyways, Benedict. Literally, literally whitewashing. <laughs> yeah. So we are back to chapter six. And I will say, this book is seven chapters long in total. So we are one chapter away from the end. They're long chapters. Uh, they're though, very. So we're, they we're probably are. a few episodes away. We are. From the let's end. see. This this one starts on page one ninety three, and chapter seven ends on page two seventy six. So we're just shy of a hundred pages. Two thirds of the way through. We are. We are. A little over. Also, I just flipped to the last page, and he's got a picture um, in loving many memory of Barney Levin, which is apparently his dog, and that's a cute yeah. dog. So. It's a cute dog. That's the one redeeming yeah, feature of this found dog. something nice to say about Mark. Uh, he chose a cute dog. Um, but that's about all I can say nice yeah. about the guy. So as you said, this is Chapter 6, Propaganda, Censorship, and Subversion. And it is pretty much just the same complaints we've heard from every Republican about the media. There's, yeah, there's... but in a fun new way where he is cites it? historical sources. Yeah, no, well, we'll see. Well, basically the whole thing is with the whole first 10 pages, and we'll see this as we go through it, is Marx was a journalist, yeah. therefore all journalists are Marxists. It really is, though. He begins this chapter saying, quote, My purpose here is not to restate in truncated form what I wrote at length in Unfreedom of the Press. Because he's never been able to write anything in truncated form. I know. Never never met a long paragraph he didn't like. I mean... But he didn't I guess write those paragraphs, though. Yeah, exactly. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I guess everything is technically yeah. truncated. Nonetheless, some initial and limited overlap is necessary to explain how the media are now well-suited as propagandists for an anti-American, pro-Marxist agenda. From critical race theory and the 1619 Project to the degrowth movement and its war on capitalism. So, <laughs> he's still trying to make that fetch happen. Yep. And Jesus Christ, it's not happening. But he continues, writing in Jacobin Magazine, a self-described socialist publication, Stephen Sherman notes that Marx, quote, was a journalist more or less all his life. Dun, dun, dun. All his adult life. 
Not as a child. He was a fine child. Sure. Sure. Bag on children. Children. Uh, there's some child journalists out there. I feel like, isn't there a series of child novels about a kid journalist? I feel like, isn't that no, one yeah. of them? Um, well, the most famous one is Ross Douthat. <laughs> you, sir. <laughs> you, sir. Win one cookie today. You win one <laughs> cookie you. today. Um... Uh, but he's, I'm going to skip that, most of that page, going on to the next one. And yes, like you said, he's basically complaining. Marx was a journalist, so all journalists are Marxists. It really yeah, is. It's a logical, he would not, again, once again, Mark Levin would not pass the LSAT. No, not it's at a all. Logical, logical fallacy. Not there, at something. all. He says, quote, Thus, Marx approached journalism as modern journalists do today. That is, he was unencumbered by a commitment to actual news reporting. Instead, his reporting would shape the news around his own opinions and ideology. And then this he- is literally how journalism has always existed. Also, Mark deliberately blurs the lines between opinion journalism and facts uh, and straight reporting. Also, the other thing, and it's that quote that floats around that I'm, it's become a bit cliche now. Mm-hmm. But it's that one of like, if someone tells you it's raining and the other person tells you it's dry, it's not your job to give them both time. It's your job as a journalist to stick your hand out the window and see who's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So. That you know that well, and as also. we as we get into this chapter a little bit, we're gonna talk a little bit about I think how what Mark is sort of pushing for here, uh, and what I think most of the right pushes for, knowing that it's it's not really what they mean is they're pushing for neutrality, mm-hmm. uh, which is that you know giving both time to the person who says it's raining and the person who says it's it's dry outside, right? Where which, it, ironically, Ronald Reagan got rid of. Sure, yeah. Which, you know, so there are two different concepts, right? There's objective reporting, which is reporting based on the facts and the truth and the reality. And then there is neutrality, which is not taking a position between two points. And they want neutrality regardless of the truth or falsity of what's being said on either either end of that. Yeah. And that's that's just wrong. That's just incorrect. You just can't have that. Um, and And he pretty much just hand waves over the fact that that's mm-hmm. what he's pushing for, that he doesn't care whether something is true or false. He just wants neutrality. But he presents that as though it was the same as just pushing for truth, regardless of viewpoint. So, But he has a quote now uh, from, I forget who this guy, I think it's the Jackman writer who he's quoting yeah, from. It, uh, no, it's Ledbetter. Ledbetter, okay, sure writing about, yeah, yeah. about Marx. And he says that Marx began to believe that existing systems of government and economy could not be overthrown until a relatively informed and organized proletariat could be mobilized to do so. As became clear with every passing year, in many nations, such organization was decades away if it existed at all. And now Marx says about that. In short, Marx understood the power of mass communication and the need to control it and shape it to frame events and opinions. In other words, the purpose was to propagandize, not inform. Neither yeah, the, yeah. those sentences, those two things, do not relate to each other. Well, no, I mean the, the, the <coughs> Marx analysis doesn't relate to the quote. But also, do you know who else is extremely guilty of what Marx analysis, evil analysis, of was? Who? Sam Adams. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Literal like American revolutionary propagandists. It's this it literally like paved the way. I, I get that, that you want to address the underpinning of the argument. I want to address the fact that paragraph <laughs> one turns away and the supposed that, yeah. paraphrasing of what that said have nothing to do with one another. That's true. At all. That's true. So, yeah. but I would. I mean, I would also say uh, going back to my analysis of this is like that's exactly like marx would have written the same way about the uh, american revolution mm-hmm. at the time had he been born 
or been writing at the time of the American Revolution, he would have written the same way. Putting him in the context of the American Revolution, he would have seen that as a positive thing of overthrowing the power of an aristocratic state yeah. to a more bourgeois-led... Like, that's one path on the way towards Marxism. Sure. So. But also, Benedict, did you know that, again, uh, Mark is going to improperly claim that Marx's thing is called material historicism? Oh, I did. Yeah, I've underlined yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just, you make it real hard for me to take you seriously when yeah. one of the core concepts of Marxism, which is historical materialism, mm-hmm. you just come up with your own phrase for and use I even, repeatedly. I even, I even Googled material historicism to see if there's something yeah. weird that he couldn't find. I only was... found people writing about this book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was it. It was really, really dumb. But also, yeah. what he's still quoting, the the larger portions of this page are of course all giant block quotes it's from this guy james ledbetter uh the editor of dispatches from the new york tribune and what he's quoting for here from here which is a book of a book of marx's articles (laughs) well what what it becomes clear is yes what he's quoting from is this guy james ledbetter talking about this edited volume that he put together Mm -hmm. which becomes very clear when the quote says quote the Penguin Classics volume I've edited is but a sample overall <laughs> Marx produced, with help from Engels, nearly 500 articles for the Tribune. So, Mark, in addition to not knowing what the fuck historical materialism, did not bother apparently to read Marx's works, his writings for the Tribune. He read an interview with a guy who edited them for a collected volume, and that's the extent that's the extent of his reading on this particular topic. That's here. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it does say in an interview with James Ledbetter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all this is. I was blown away by that. I was just really so blown away. But below that. But also, look, here's <coughs> the thing. This is, that's what opinion journalists do. Mm-hmm. And you know who else does it? Fox? Mark Levin. Mm. I, look, we got, we got to just put at the beginning Right, a big block quote, or a big, you know, let's call it a block quote because we're, we're following Mark. Uh, yep. Mark is on Fox News, right? Well, he has a radio show in which he frames current events to suit his agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, this this whole complaint is like, a, a again, he's accurately diagnosed the problem of his own self. Like, in the sure. same way he accurately diagnosed Trumpist populism and called it what Biden does. He's accurately <laughs> diagnosing conservative AM radio and saying it's what the okay, but, but let's does. just pretend, right, uh, that that he's blind to himself, right? Uh, radio sure. host, know thyself is is not yeah, something he's yeah, familiar sure. with. That's a good alternate chapter title. Yeah, but let's let's just say that he's he's completely blind to the things that he does, as so many of us are, right? I think I'm mm-hmm. I'm one of the world's greatest singers, and then I heard myself mm-hmm. last week, yep. two weeks ago, doing my my little Willy Wonka thing. <laughs> when when you had COVID, uh, I think it was before that. I can't blame it on that. But um, come with me. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you cannot be on Fox News without, unless you have never watched a single moment of programming on that network and have the complaints that Mark has in this book about a lack of neutrality mm-hmm. from journalists. You cannot do that. It I, is just as a ju- I just don't think you're allowed to complain about the media when you are part of the media. I just like it just doesn't. Well, that but doesn't that's all Fox you. News does is portray themselves as a third position outside of the media. Right. Portray themselves 
not as media, but as a, a super media, something that is mm. that is perfect and and pure and all light that cannot be touched by this oh. evil, ugly, dark media thing over here. Right? That's what they do all the time. Is that was that a Lion King quote? Sure. Uh, uh, whatever. Uh, <coughs> but Mark then says underneath what I last read, quote. The fact is, modern journalists from the New York Times and Washington Post to CNN and MSNBC and most other news platforms have much in common with Marx the journalist, as will become evident. They have abandoned the traditional role of a reporter for that for that of a social activist. I just don't know when he thinks that exists. Yeah, that's... Because he's going to go on and complain about the era of yellow journalism. He's going to complain about Marx's journalism. So he's complaining about every single era of journalism. That's exactly what I have written in like, the margins of mine is... That's always been the role of reporters, is as social yeah. activists. Like, think back to uh, Upton Sinclair and the meatpacking industry mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And yellow, you know, yellow journalism. Uh, think back to... Pushing for the war against fucking Cuba. <coughs> yeah. Like, it's always been the case. Is it basically writing headlines like, is Teddy Roosevelt's stick big Edward enough? Edward like, R. Murrow like... bringing down the Red Scare, right? That sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, when have journalists not been that? And I guess... You could put, point to like a time between 1975 and 1989 when, I don't know, uh, there was a certain brand of conservative journalist who maybe just liked Reagan. Maybe that's what he's dreaming of. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But it's certain. I can't think of a time that would have met this supposed ideal that he's looking Certainly for. Certainly not when some, like, someone will always have been doing it. Like, mm-hmm. there may have been times where more or less percentage of writing done was done in that way well there's there's always been right in the newspaper um you know police chase on blah 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 and you know just factual reporting that's always been a thing factual reporting has always been a thing but even what is decided to be reported is Mm, it's an editorial decision it's an editorial decision and reporters deciding you know what leads to follow even if it's outside of their editor's decisions, again, that goes back to that same sort of, they're deciding what they think is important for people to know about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it's a dumb thing to think. I completely agree with you, and I knew we would probably be simpatico on that point, that mm-hmm. it's a, a dumb idea. On most points. There's very little friction in this <laughs> I know, right? So. We need to argue more. I need to start sending you yeah, more cheese. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but next he goes to a guy named Richard M. Weaver who was a professor of English at the University of Chicago, and, by the way, an apologist for the Civil War South. Um, Mm. I don't want to call him interesting, because he's not really interesting, but he was just like, he wrote a lot about the chivalry of the South, and the honor, Mm. and all that sort of bullshit. Yeah, yeah, the classic Yeah, yeah. But he wrote a book in 1948 called Ideas Have Consequences. And this is... Oh, yeah, they sure they sure do. This is what Mark is going to for his complaints about the... 2022 Media is a 1948 book. Uh, And this guy, I didn't find anything interesting. It's a bunch of rambly stuff about Plato and blah, blah, blah. And I just really didn't give a shit about it. It's just really Mm -hmm. boring. But he says about it, quote, In this, Weaver is condemning the nature of media as organized propaganda involving individuals who are not particularly bright or knowledgeable about the matters on which they write or speak, but are propagandists for particular viewpoints. Ironic from Well, if you listen to enough right-wing media, you'll hear that one of the things they do a lot is just call the other side stupid. 
Despite the fact yeah, that yeah. they... Yeah, Tucker Carlson does that all oh, the time. Oh, yeah. Despite the fact that they just say patently ridiculous things all the time, one of their favorite attacks is just call the other side stupid. Because that way, your listener, your viewer, they're already... Gets to feel superior. They're already Yeah, they're already superior just by having chosen the correct person to listen to on an issue, mm-hmm. right? And, like, I also want to say at the beginning, right... Uh, you know, CNN, MSNBC, what we would call, you know, quote unquote, left wing media in the United States, which is like mm-hmm. center left at all. You know, um, they have plenty of problems. They have tons of yeah. problems, but none of Mark's critiques are valid critiques of those issues. Like right? one of the things that gets pointed out here by this Weaver guy uh, is sort of like and it's a very sideways overwrought, overly wordy way of saying, if it bleeds, it leads is a bad way to do news. Yeah. And he took like Which, three paragraphs fair to say enough, that. Like. It, just, it was, yeah, really ridiculous. That's a valid critique, but that is not Mark's critique. No. Mark takes that, that three paragraphs or whatever where the guy is complaining about, you know, sensationalist news, and Mark says, I would go a step further. The press not only starts and prolongs quarrels, but thrives today on the exploitation of issues and agendas that serve the purposes of the various Marxist movements, and in doing so, inflames and divides the entire nation along ideological lines. So he took something entirely different than what the guy was even trying to say. Yeah, and again, once again, listen back to your own show. Like, yeah. And it's just, then this, this goes back to citing from Weaver, and Weaver is citing James Fenimore Cooper. James Fenimore Cooper. The guy who wrote The Last <laughs> of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. And famously writing in the <laughs> 1700s. And James Fenimore Cooper is complaining about the press. And it just, yeah, man, people have always complained about the press. So, yeah. again, point us to a time when you think the press was okay. Never. That's the it's thing. It's just ridiculous, man. It's just so ridiculous. But he says next about that, quote, Weaver and Cooper were highlighting what would become the media's use of targeted personal attacks on individuals and subjects that defy or resist the trajectory Based of Based on events. things that they have said yeah. or done. Like, yeah, no shit. Subjects that defy or resist the trajectory of events and movements for which journalists have become committed and open advocates. This is seen every day with, for example, the relentless polemical characterizations of individuals and groups as climate change deniers, Trump deplorables, white supremacists, etc. Okay, that escalated quickly. Is the next one just Nazis? I feel like the next, the etc. is a stand-in for just Nazis, I feel like. Because, I mean, okay, we know, and, and he's going to, later on, complain one of his big complaints here is that his side on climate change denial doesn't get as much airplay anymore. They still do uh-huh. on Fox, but the rest of the media has just sort of learned, oh, we're not going to play games and pretend. We don't have to listen to these people. Yeah, yet. we're not going to pretend that these obvious propagandists have anything valid to say about climate change anymore. And that's one of his complaints. Trump deplorables. Okay, you could argue that there's been some unfair characterization of people who are maybe just dum dums as bad people, mm-hmm. maybe putting a moral uh, characterization on people who maybe were deluded or lied to and believed it, whatever. But then white supremacists. Yeah. Those exist, Mark. Yeah, and also, like, <coughs> you tend to have had to have done something kind of white, white supremacist yeah. to get called a white supremacist. Yeah, you really do. You really do. It's just, okay, this is a weird, 
Weird thing there. So skipping down, after another quote from Weaver, he says, quote, Of course, the whole Marxist thought is the cleansing of history for the purification of future existence. That is, all that came before must be rejected and destroyed by violent revolution if necessary to make way for the Marxist society. And the dude's just never read any Marxism, has he? No, just, no, 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 no. But we, I, yeah, we know I, that. I know that. I think. I think, I think we've established yeah. that. But then we get into some Edward Bernays talk. And do you sure. remember Edward Bernays from Glenn Beck? Very, Glenn very, Beck. Very, yeah, uh, I don't remember if it was in the book or if it was in when we went over uh, the uh, Puppet Master uh, series. I don't remember which one it was, mm. but I know he talked about Edward Bernays. It might have been in both. Now that I think about it. But Edward Bernays is the father of modern propaganda. And he wrote a book in 1928. So, again, we're talking about the modern day media. And we are still back in... Through the lens of 1928. We've got got 1948. Now 1928. We got, what, 1789 or whatever the fuck James Fenimore Cooper was alive in. This is the the, the closest we've gotten to modern day is 1948 so far. But Edward Bernays... Uh, and just, like, none of this, these complaints that he has have anything to do with Marxism at all. But no. somehow he's managing and you to know who you know who they were talking about generally in the 1920s? Radio hosts. <laughs> you know, that's actually true. I didn't even think about it about yeah. that. <laughs> but, so, Bernays, yes, Bernays actually did do some work on propaganda and how to do propaganda and the techniques of it and blah, blah, blah. And the only interesting thing I found in this uh, two or three pages talking about Edward Bernays was that at one point he cites to phys.org, Mark cites to, P-H-Y-S.org. I underlined that. Which is just a weird science blog. I went and looked through it, and it's like it reposts articles from all over the internet, just generic science articles. I think it's just a uh, click mill for advertising dollars is what it looks like. I can't tell or not, but it's really strange. Uh, And it also, by the way, that website, pro-climate change, because it, you know, it's a science website at the very least. I can just imagine him on his radio, according to (laughs) fizz.org. Fizz.org. He's a weird dude, man. I, I don't... I, it's like I know how he got that. He just Googled Edward Bernays it, with yeah. whatever phrase he wanted, and that was one of the first results that came up for him. He's like, guess I'm signing to fizz.org then. I know that's how he got oh, yeah. it, but it's still very weird. But apparently, so uh, Edward Bernays, um, you know, Felix Frankfurter, uh, funniest name Supreme Court justice we've ever had. Uh, A hilarious combination of, of, of Frankfurter with Bernays sauce. <laughs> Uh, he warned uh, Franklin Roosevelt against allowing Edward Bernays to uh, help out with World War II. So that was the point of that, um, because propaganda's bad. So we, we just got three pages telling us propaganda. Uh, probably, probably should have let him do it, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he did or not. I actually don't know whether Edward Bernays played any role in World War II. I think... FDR would have been like, yeah, sure, I won't let him, and then slyly... If like I it. remember correctly, I think Edward Bernays is the guy who got women to walk around smoking in order to... Uh, get women to start smoking a particular brand of cigarette, like, you know, wearing a certain color. There's a whole thing that happened. Uh, maybe I'll Not find really an article sense. about it and link it in the show notes if I can find it. Uh, but uh, then we get back to Hannah Arendt. He's uh, quoting from her some more, uh, just about propaganda. And it's just, again, there's no point to any of this. Just saying propaganda's bad and uh, authoritarian movements like propaganda is the gist of it. And there's Edward Bernays lived to be 103. Really? Jesus Christ. Holy yeah. shit. What year did he die? 
1995. Holy crap! I was alive for that! S- saw a whole lot of communications changes <laughs> in, the, in yeah, his lifetime. I know! Wow! Went from 1891... 18- to 19, that, that's nuts. That if he just been a few more years, if he could have just made it past the millennium, that would have been. Cr- he got. He made and it all also, the way to the internet. Not like the real internet, but the internet was at least around. Yeah, it was around. Another interesting fact: he is Sigmund Freud's nephew. I think I remember hearing that at some time. Yeah, Isn't that crazy. Anyways, anyway, interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah. Mark goes back to quoting his own previous works. Uh, this time, Ameritopia rather than unfreedom of the press, uh, mm-hmm. where he says, quote, That's such a boomer title of a fucking book. Unfre- it's like, um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I can't even think of any. I own it, a copy like of the, it, and I haven't yeah. bothered to, I've skimmed it because I wanted to see, for this chapter, I pulled it out through the bookshelf the other day because I wanted to see like how closely it tracks with the complaints in this chapter. And I just looked over the chapter titles in that one. I'm like, yeah. There's a lot of similarities between the complaints in this chapter and that book. I'm not saying it tracks exactly, but he's hitting a lot of the same points. It's like when people write, like, Democrats or, you know, like that. Or or Jesse Ventura, the former governor of Minnesota and a Mm -hmm. former WWE wrestler who literally wrote a book called Democrips and Rebloodlicates. I don't know if you know about that that one. Democrips and Rebloodlicates. I just love that one Great so stuff. much. It's so brutal. Jesse's it's just a big dum-dum. He's just a big Jesse, well-meaning dum-dum. Yeah. <laughs> but he says, quote, As I explained in Ameritopia, utopianism, which would include totalitarianism. Does it? No, it really doesn't. <laughs> it really, really doesn't. I don't know of anyone who believes that a utopia is coming that thinks that that utopia... Like, yeah, I'll be oppressed by a great leader. <laughs> I don't know of anyone who believes that their utopia will involve the starvation of Ukraine. I just don't... I don't know of anybody who's in favor of that. Tankies, man. Yeah, well... <laughs> a handful. Uh, finds a receptive audience among societies disenchanted, disaffected, dissatisfied, and maladjusted who are unwilling or unable to assume responsibility for their own real or perceived conditions, but instead blame their surroundings, the system, and others. And this is the point where I realized, oh shit, he has basically quoted this same exact passage from that book. Oh yeah, he said exactly this. Yeah, he's basically quoted that same exact passage earlier because he's just... He's just reusing the same stuff. That's all he's got. Yeah. Also, I, and I will say the same thing to it. Why do you think so many people are disaffected? I, if you think this is a huge thing. If everything is so great, why are so many people disaffected, Mark? Why are they yeah, so disaffected? Exactly. But yeah, yeah, he keeps calling them malcontents. And it's just another one, his way of, you know, sh- shitting on, I don't know, these non-existent people because he's just up a person to complain about, really. But then, yeah, he's invented a guy on the internet. Then he says, quote, In addition to propaganda, or perhaps a form of propaganda, is what the late Daniel J. Borston, a librarian of the United States Congress and professor of history at the University of Chicago, labeled pseudo-events. That is, staged press events. And that's where my ears perked up. Because I went... He then he then goes on to list things that actually Yeah, because I went, false flags? Are you about to tell me about false yeah, flags? That's what I thought, yeah, yeah. Totally what I, what I was thinking he was going to go for. But no... He gives us examples of the dumb shit he thinks, where he says, quote, Indeed, we are inundated by pseudo-events rather than actual news. That is, an unreality of the journalists' making. For example, for literally several years, our nation was fed relentless news stories about President Donald Trump's having colluded with Russia to win his election in 2016. 
This spurred congressional hearings, a criminal investigation, and endless stories piled upon endless stories. Pulitzer Prizes were awarded for utterly false news reports. It was perhaps the greatest media hoax in journalistic history. So, this is something I've noticed, which is that they all try to mischaracterize the reporting around the Russia story, which was that everyone was Mm -hmm. saying, uh, everyone was reporting that Trump had colluded with Russia. Uh, People were reporting that was a possibility that was being looked into. They also reported that Donald Trump literally tried to. If you recall, Donnie Jr. meeting with a Russian agent at Trump Tower, trying to collude with Russia. Now... Doing is like failing. Whether you can believe the people who were in that room that it didn't actually work or not, uh, that's still an up in the air question. But the fact that they tried to, very much not an up in the air question. And the reporting by the New York Times that resulted in Donnie Jr. revealing on Twitter that he had done so, very much deserving of all the fucking praise. So, (laughs) but they always try and pretend as though all the reporting was that Trump had colluded with Russia. Versus the reality of the story, which is that, A, Russia, either independently or with some connection to the Trump campaign, and there is reason to believe that people like Roger Stone had such connections. For sure. Right. Roger Stone, we do know, did reach out. And the reason why Roger Stone faced charges was for witness intimidation for people he got to lie to cover up for his reaching out to uh, the people who released the WikiLeaks, uh, released the emails uh, to WikiLeaks and stuff like that. So, but anyways... They always try and mischaracterize it as though we're just saying that all the reporting is that Trump colluded with Russia. But no, it was covering the very real reality of Russia very much did act in support of Donald Trump's campaign in 2016, which is is very well documented. Very well documented. Very, very well. But uh, so that's that's the pseudo stories, pseudo events that he's talking about here. And I was I was very disappointed in that because that's. I thought we'd get something more interesting. I don't know why I expected that from Mark, but I don't. I don't think I want to read Mark on false flags. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. you know, I, think I haven't. I, um, I haven't looked to see whether he's pushing the SSRI mass shooting line like everybody else. Um, there have been you know a handful of media figures who have Charlie Kirk and. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously Alex Jones. I have. I love that these that these are our public intellectuals. Yeah, uh, it is sad, isn't it? it? Right, but the the SSRIs are the cause of mass shootings is just a a skip away from calling them a false flag because yeah. Alex Jones, for him, that's part of his false flag narrative, right? Uh, antidepressants are part of how the false flag happens. They pump somebody full of uh, antidepressants. Antidepressants actually cause you to go kill people. So that's part of the plan. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been on InfoWars like eight or nine times now at this point. Uh, And she is all in the tank for that. But she moderates the message a little bit when she goes on her own. Now, she has a radio show, by the way, or a fucking live stream fucking. She had the dude on who yelled at AOC the other day. Did you not see that? No. The guy who sexually harassed AOC on the steps yeah. of Congress. So I saw I saw that. He works for the Blaze. Yeah, Marjo had him on her little live stream show mm-hmm. to Good. Yeah. To be like, hey, well done. Like what To it, repeat how much he loves the big booty Latina. Jesus, these people are gross, disgusting. man. It's really gross. <clears throat> but next uh, he's just talking about these pseudo events. They're the same as propaganda. They're about control. It's all about getting that control. And then he says, quote, uh, 
More recently, journalism professors and others have invented another rationale for insinuating social activism into reporting. They call it public or community journalism. Mm -hmm. As with American Marxism generally, and education in particular, the social activist journalists who now populate the vast majority of America's newsrooms are John Dewey followers. John Dewey, cool dude again. I forgot when he had talked about John Dewey in this book until he brought that up. And he continues, most of them consciously, some of them unknowingly, some among them... Some of them brainwashed into being John Dewey followers. Like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? Yeah. And this is one of those weird things. Like, they have a boogeyman, and they're trying to make that fetch happen, right? They're really drawing red lines between lots of people that have, like, vaguely met <laughs> in the corridor once. Like. And again, this whole attempt to try and make just mainstream media figures into propagandists is... Because the only media figures I've ever seen doing fucking stadium tours are on Fox News. Right? Yeah. There's... It's so crazy to try and, and pull this weird bait-and-switch, no-you-are-but-what-am-I sort of thing that he's doing here. So he complains about Dewey for a couple of pages, talks about some people who are fans, like some journalism professors who have like said, yeah, I'm a fan of John Dewey. Um, and then he's complaining about how nobody's neutral. And that's that's where we are, where he says, quote... That's what we talked about earlier with the neutral versus objective. Like, it's not necessarily the same yeah. thing. It's not necessarily yeah, and that's where we are when he says, quote, Yet journalists assure us that such a, an approach is not about taking political sides or ideological positions, but problem-solving and serving the community. This is nonsense. And then he goes <laughs> into an article... Sounds like an opinion. Yeah. Then he goes into this uh, Theodore Glasser guy, who's a professor at Stanford, who just has, I will say eminently reasonable things to say. Uh, and there's uh, an event, I guess, where Ken Burns, the documentary guy, uh, went to Stanford University and gave a speech. And this is how, um, I think this is how Glasser is writing about that event, where he says, quote, It is, yeah. Without mentioning him by name, Burns portrayed Trump as unequivocally unqualified for the presidency. In an indictment we might expect from the leftist filmmaker Michael Moore, the politically mainstream Burns dismissed Trump as an infantile, bullying man a person who easily lies, a candidate who has never demonstrated any interest in anyone or anything but himself and his own enrichment. While Burns has set, said he has for decades diligently practiced and rigorously maintained a conscious neutrality in his work, avoiding the advocacy of many of his colleagues, he now believes that there comes a time when I, and you, can no longer remain neutral, silent. We must speak up and speak out. And Mark is incensed by that. Do you not think that the fact that someone like Ken Burns has chosen to say something like that might mean there's a genuine need for it? Precisely. Like, That's exact. Yeah, again, simpatico. We're, we're, we have basically the same thing. It is. It should be a sign to you that someone like Ken Burns, who as Who has built their career out <coughs> of the conceit of being overly, like, aggressively neutral. Yes. To the point where they, he probably gave too much time to the uh, state's writers in his otherwise very impressive Civil War documentary. If he thinks like, that this... If that guy is like, hey, this guy is uniquely unqualified and we should all be against it, that's that's maybe a time to fucking pay attention. Also, Ken Burns definitely, desperately needs a haircut. Have you seen that, man? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's a fucking mop plopped on top of his head. Kevin, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Glass house stones. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good the audience can't see me. Yeah, yeah. Kevin looks like a cockatoo today, folks. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so he complains more about this. 
He talks about another guy named Davis Merritt, who is the author of Public Germanism and Public Life. I don't know. I didn't look into that, whether it's a journal or whether it's a, I don't know, industry publication or something. But it's just journalists having reasonable conversations about what is the role of journalists in the weird yeah. topsy-turvy world we find ourselves well, in. Well, yeah, in a, in a post-truth candidacy, what is the role of the journalist? Right. That's the thing. The, the, that's what they're talking about. Here. And Merritt calls for people, for journalists to act as the, quote, fair-minded participant, which is someone who doesn't abandon good judgment or fairness or balance, but does employ those virtues, I'm quoting now, employ those virtues on the field of play, not from the far-removed press box, not as a contestant, but as a fair-minded participant whose presence is necessary in order for outcomes to be determined fairly, that is, under the agreed-upon rules by the contestants. And so, then Mark is going to complain about how that plays out in Merritt's own newspaper, and this, this is... Who boy, this is something okay. where he says, quote, and how does Merritt's fair-minded participation play out on the pages of his newspaper? Here's an example where on December 8th, 2015, writing for his Kansas newspaper, Merritt proclaimed, quote, Donald Trump has not received a single vote and has zero delegates to the Republican National Convention. So time remains to head off what theoretically could be a candidate disaster for the GOP and a governing disaster for America. But that's a lot less time than the nation had in August when his bizarre presidential campaign took wings out of a huge, raucous rally in Mobile, Alabama. And, I mean, again, I will just go back to pretty objectively true paragraph the dude wrote. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the way the Trump presidency played out in the end. Yeah, I don't think any fair-minded person with a brain that works properly could look at the result of the last six years and say, uh, Donald Trump didn't destroy the GOP and uh, absolutely uh, create a, a, a governing nightmare in our country. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody could rationally look at the situation and say anything other than that, of course. That's what we do is look at people who think that that's not the case. I just realized how uh, how little hope there is for this process for, for what we do and, and others. <laughs> th this 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 podcast not objective. No, no. Just so you know. Well, we maybe. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not neutral, certainly. Right. But again, that's the thing is that this whole complaint is that they are not neutral. Rather than he's not. He is framing it as though what he wants is objectivity, but what he really wants is neutrality. No objective observer could look at Donald Trump and disagree, I think, with the... And be neutral. No. You just, you simply can't be. Yeah. He is not a figure of neutrality. You no. either love him or you hate him. To portray it's him quite, in a way... Quite literally. To portray him in a way that uh, Mark wants is not neutral. It is tilting yeah. the scales in his favor. So I, you know, yeah. it's it's a, a sleight of hand Mark is trying to play, and also you can't neutrally portray someone who is staking a position, right? And also someone who uh, one of the things that we glossed over a little bit is one of these journalist professors who was writing, <coughs> talking about how you deal with, as you mentioned, the post truth era, right? And mm -hmm. how you deal with someone who won't tell you the truth of what they think when you ask them a question, because mm -hmm. it's just someone who's searching for the answer that they that is going to work best for them in whatever particular moment, right? And and that's, again, something where you can't treat that as uh, this supposed normal. neutrality. It's not normal. Right. You have to be more dogged. You have to go after, after it harder than that. And he complains, like, well, why don't they do this to Biden? Why don't they go after him as hard as they did Trump? Well, you know, as many, as many problems as I might have with the Biden administration, he's not a pathological liar. 
So I don't think it's as big of a problem. I really don't. But uh, he complains again about uh, now he's going to Jay Rosen, professor of journalism at NYU. And he says, quote, like the others, Rosen insists that journalism is dying not because of its failure to approach the news in an objective and impartial way, but because of its failure to relate to the common man through social activism. And that's what this all is, something we've talked about before, where it is portraying everything that isn't your ideology as activism and your position mm-hmm. as the neutral one. That's, yeah. I think, again, going back to what we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes, that's what this is an extension of, is sort of those... Which conservatives always claim, by the way, like that, that's always like the common sense neutral position, that's always the, the ground that they try and stake out. Yeah, and he complains that, you know, these people have open contempt for Trump, and I would just say open contempt for Trump is the objective position. It's... <laughs> You know, it's just it's just the 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 bare center uh, is open contempt for that piece of shit. Um, and so Ro- he's complaining about Rosen for a couple of pages. Like, you know, again, it's massive block quotes from all these people. Yep. Um, and he get he has some quotes. Rosen, of course, a Dewey disciple. A Dewey disciple. I did like that. It's a nice little play on words, though. Uh, he has some quotes from the American Prospect, which is a progressive um outfit again explicitly like he's, <laughs> he's criticizing all these <laughs> magazines that explicitly have positions for having positions mm-hmm. and then we circle back here to at the end uh, getting towards the end of what we're going to be reading for today marx was a journalist these journalists they're all just marxists the other thing i would say is like this is m- maybe all true and none of it worked <laughs> so how powerful can it be i know like right? maybe there may- maybe there was press collusion to expose Donald Trump for what he is. Maybe. Mm-hmm. None of it worked. Yeah. So what? where are we with this? I mean, uh, I, I guess you could say that the majority of the country saw Trump for what he actually was in you know numerical terms, um, yeah. but it certainly didn't work to overcome the you know unearned advantages that Republican have, Republicans have to make him president and turn us into the burgeoning fascist state that we are today. So... You know, there's that. We live in a bad time, Benedict. We live in a really bad time. Yeah, it's not good. But yeah, so he goes uh, back to Ledbetter, that guy who wrote the uh, summary of Marx's works or the edited volume, whatever it was, uh, that he skimmed over the interview about. Uh, And there's a quote in there about how, you know, Marx was writing uh, political journalism. And then he says, uh, Marx says about that, quote, Moreover, Marx's influence goes well beyond his opinion journalism. The American media have become special pleaders for the Marxist ideology, or at least advocates for those who apply it to numerous aspects of society. But the story does not end here. In fact, it gets worse. The next step is the logical progression away from an open and free society where indoctrination and activism are key to controlling thought and outcomes, ultimately to repression. That is... Can we... Can we can we give a beat where our audience is allowed to guess who? Ah, yeah, you know, you know, you know it, you know it. That is the... <laughs> okay. Five, five, five seconds. To <laughs> let me finish reading. Let me finish reading, and then we'll do it. That is the silencing of opposition on contrary voices in pursuit of ideological purity, and that involves targeting and canceling people who refuse to relent. And now, as you said, Benedict. He's going to bring us to the next leftist figure we're going to be talking about related to targeting and canceling. So we'll give the audience five seconds. Solowinski! 
Towards me. Hey. Have we had a single author who has not brought up Solinsky? None of us like Solinsky. I mean, I own a copy of Rules for Radicals just because. Yeah, me too. But <laughs> it doesn't mean I like. I own a copy of American Autism too. <laughs> It's just, I love it so much, man. I really do. They all, and and the thing really is, like, I remember, and this goes back to my time being right-wing shitbag, uh, the big figures of the time would screech about Alinsky all the time because Alinsky had connections to, you know, the Weather Underground and real radicals of the 60s and 70s and stuff. So he was a yeah. convenient boogeyman. But they, they're really out of step. I don't think anyone who even reads these books, unless they were actively listening to right-wing radio and Fox News around, you know, the the beginning to the mid, middle of the Obama years, they don't give a fuck about Saul Alinsky. They don't remember what the plot line was regarding Saul Alinsky no. that they're supposed to be scared and angry about. So... And it's not on a it's not on a leftism one oh one reading list. No, like, not like oh Jesus Christ. Not like on the fucking Young Americans for Freedom. Uh remember that <laughs> reading list that we found? I do, yeah, we <laughs> we do need to post that. Sorry. They literally had uh I think multiple entries by uh Pat uh, Buchanan. Uh, fucking neo Nazi yeah. Pat Buchanan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including Death of the West, the one where he cites um the the founder of the National Alliance, uh, uh William Luther Pierce. Or was it William Luther Pierce? I forget off the top of my head whose radio broadcasts. It might have been William Luther mm-hmm. Pierce. It might have been David Duke. I want to say it was William Luther Pierce whose radio broadcasts he was citing to in that book. But that, that's a straight-up fucking white supremacist book. There's no other way to read that. Yeah. Um, and at some point, we're going to have to talk about... I think we're going to have a whole uh, episode on white, white supremacist literature um, where we're going to talk about, like the various you know, siege and uh, uh, the Turner diaries. And there's a horrific, horrifically racist book that people like Steve Bannon, like um, uh, mm-hmm. which is written by a French author. Uh, fuck. I can't remember his name off the top. Oh, it's about the one where the Muslims yes, take over. That is the, that is the yeah, book. Yeah, and France, it is called. Yeah. Wasn't it, wasn't it written by Zemmour, the guy that just ran for president? No, it wasn't. Um, but I think Zemmour probably likes it. Hold on. Give me just a moment. I have to yeah. know the name of it now. Um, the Camp of the Saints is the name of the book, and it's written yeah. by Jean Raspail. Horrifically racist book. I mean, the the non-white characters literally have names like Turd Eater. Um, and the, mm. in, they, they exist solely to invade... France and commit rapes like that's that's the entirety of it's a horrifically racist book and people like Steve Bannon have literally you know cited it approvingly it's it's we're gonna have to talk about all that sort of shit but I'm surprised that's not on the YAF's reading list is is what I was getting Mm -hmm. to really but there's some really horrifically bad stuff on that reading list um I have lost track of where we are in the book right now I guess we'll just move on to the part where he's complaining Uh, about Chuck Todd yeah that's right yeah that's that's on the two page spread we yeah, were on. So that's fine. Marxist Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. The, the left hates Chuck Todd, dude. You don't get to call Everybody him a fucking Marxist. Everyone hates Chuck Todd. But what he's complaining about here, this is his example of how the the media is such so horrible. They're such activists. Uh, is that Chuck Todd on January second, twenty nineteen, on Meet the Press? He did a whole episode about climate change. And he didn't bring on anyone to debate that climate change wasn't real. How, look, how, how dare, dare he? First of all. I mean, Mark actually writes after this 
quote from Chuck Todd on the program, quote, There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of experts and scholars. There are dozens of us! dozens of us! (laughs) God damn it, I want to high-five you through the screen. That was completely... I did not edit that, so we were doing it at the same time. That just happened. That just happened. (laughs) Who have challenged the view that Earth is warming, or that it is warming due to man's activities, or that it may be warming, but not to the extent the alarmists are claiming, or that it is warming to some extent, but due to this... Oh my God, can you do a a harder... uh, Well, I might be wrong in all these ways, but if I throw out enough possibilities, I might be right on one of them. Like, all of those people, anyone pushing any one of those points necessarily has to disagree with one another. Therefore, you do yeah. not have a consensus. It's it's ridiculous. Also, him positioning his... We've talked about his experts, the sort of experts on his side, and how most of them are not actually climate scientists, and how there's not literally hundreds, if not thousands. You have maybe a hundred of heavily industry-paid individuals willing to say bullshit. But he's just complaining that Todd doesn't want to have any of these people on. And he says about them, quote, Todd dismisses them all as deniers and refuses them a national platform from which they can share their informed knowledge with the public or engage in debate on the subject. Of course. Nobody is entitled to a national platform. And we've moved past the point of pretending there's a debate on climate climate change. We just have. Of course, Todd does so, even though he has no expertise. He is motivated by his allegiance to the climate change movement and insists on fronting for it. And, you know, it just, you know, going back to our climate change chapter we did in this book, just go back, like, okay, if you have a couple hundred, if not thousands, we have a couple thousand, if not tens of thousands. So our guys are going to beat up your guys, Mark. So it just it just doesn't make any sense. So now we're back to Zach Goldberg. It's kind it's kind of like the the thing like the um when we were talking about like vaccinated versus unvaccinated mm-hmm. yep. um people of of like you are you're going to end up with more cases and and therefore an overrepresented because most people are vaccinated, yeah. right? So if most climate scientists think one thing and some don't, then it's unfair to have a one versus one conversation. Like right. even if you're having a debate, you're like these are if you boil it down, which cable news always does, to one person representing mm-hmm. one side and another person representing, then right. it makes it seem like there's an actual. It reminds me, there I think like, I, it was years ago, but I think. I was, yeah, I think we're thinking of the same exact thing where they had like one dude representing, you know, climate denial and then like dozens of people just yelling at him, you know, yelling (laughs) facts at that dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's what we should do. We should bring that back. We really should. But so he's complaining now that obviously the climate deniers don't get any time on the airwaves to put out their bullshit. Again, Fox News, motherfucker. That's what you do all day. And then he says that the same situation applies to critical race theory and related movements. He says, mm, famously, that's had no yeah. time. And he has a big quote from Zach Goldberg in Tablet Magazine, which is, quote, such articles, and he's talking about articles about critical race theory or whatever, illustrate a prevailing new political morality on questions of race and justice that has taken power at the New York Times and the Washington Post, a worldview sometimes abbreviated as wokeness that combines the sensibilities of highly educated and hyper-liberal white professionals with elements of black nationalism and academic critical race theory. Okay. You cannot spend this chapter telling me that you want neutrality in journalism and then present that paragraph to me. The two don't mesh. 
You can, because he doesn't have to follow his own rules. Well, I forgot about that part. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the the media, they've joined the critical race activists. We know about all this. And, you know, it's all all about Marxism. It's uh, uh, enthusiastically advocating for their Marxist-centric transmutation of American society, is a quote that Mark gives us about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we know, you know, the New York Times is all on purpose. They got the 1619 Project, which is as... He's just retreading ground. He's already gone over. That pissed me off because he's literally just using the same wording. Yeah, he hasn't used very many original words in this book anyway. Stop using the same No, words. he says that the 1619 Project about brainwashing students to believe America is irredeemably racist and oppressive, blah, blah, blah. CNN, they announced that they're expanding their beat covering race, and apparently that's uh, evil Marxism, yeah, I guess, I, I suppose. And then, Benedict, and then... We get, a, I think, most inspirational portion of the chapter where he says, quote, Gone are the days when the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. declared, Oh, for fuck's sake. I have a dream. Guess, again, I'll give you five seconds That my seconds four little children will one day live in a... Yes, he does. The content of their character portion of Martin Luther King's speech. And, okay, this is the weirdest thing to me about this. He footnoted that quote. Why did he footnote <laughs> that quote? Look... He's been horrible about footnoting things that need to be footnoted versus things that don't throughout this entire book. Hey, there's this little known Martin Luther King yeah. guy who said Look, something that I... Mark, yeah. if you don't footnote that, nobody is going to read your book and be pissed that they can't go to the end and figure out where it came from. None of your readers are going to be mad about that. It's the one Martin Luther King quote they know. Not the one they should know, but it is the one that they know. Jesus. And he's footnoted it as Martin Luther King Jr., I Have a Dream, Encyclopedia Britannica, 1963. <laughs> you know, <laughs> did he really quote Encyclopedia Britannica? Oh he my did, God. Yeah. That's that's where he has cited that. That's, um, man, that's fun stuff. Well, this is, uh, Benedict, where we are leaving. Off, and the problem is, so as he always does. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. I have oh, my, you do? my goose thing. Okay, do it. It's on the next page, the top of page 218, where he's talking about um, what what he wanted, to, what pe- people feeling afraid to speak Ah, uh, yes. Well, let, just I've, give me I've, a moment I've, and we'll get to high... that. So what I was, what I was doing is, uh, so we are leaving off on page 218. And the last original mm. wording by Mark in this portion of the chapter is on page 217. So I oh, will read yeah. Mark's last words, then we will talk briefly about the block quotes he has coming after that. So Mark says, mm. fo- immediately following the Martin Luther King quote, Having laid the foundation for revolutionary change in multiple areas of our society and culture, the banning, canceling, and silencing had begun in earnest. Repression, not engagement. Compliance, not speech. Conformity, not independence. And subjugation, not liberty, are all hallmarks of American Marxism. And then... What does compliance, not speech I, mean, by the you way? You know what? Just... I didn't even think about that. That doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Compliance thus? I mean, I guess you could... It's free speech. I don't know what that means. And then uh, he uh, talks about some people who are complaining about how they don't feel... What he should say is, shutting the fuck up, (laughs) not saying dumb shit, is the the hallmark of America. Yeah, he writes about some people complaining that they don't feel like they can say what they want to say. Yeah, to which I wrote, I drew the goose and said, what do you want to (laughs) say? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, right? Because this Robert Henderson guy wrote in City Journal... Uh, this article, which quotes 
some study that says that self-censorship has soared uh, since the 1950s in the United States. So in the 1950s, at the height of McCarthyism, we are told, 13.4% of Americans reported that they felt less free to speak their minds than they used to. And in 1987, that was 20%. And by 2019, 40% of Americans said that they didn't feel free to speak their minds. Ooh. And yes, you are correct, Benedict. What did you want to use that speech to say? That's a very important component. Yeah. Oh, man. But that's basically where he ends off uh, this portion of the chapter. He talks more about this, this Henderson guy and his article that he wrote. And then I will just read the final block quote of the the section so we can just have it. Henderson warns, as the rules of the game keep shifting and individuals lose jobs or prominence because of things that they have said in the past, what, give me an example. Give me an example. It's going to be someone using the N-word. 90% of the time, someone using the N-word. Some form of racism. We will all become more adept at expressing falsehoods. It is likely that such a system will select for individuals predisposed to being comfortable with deception. Over time, only liars will speak openly. End of the first half of chapter six of Marxism. Whereas now all our politicians famously tell all the All the time! You know how it goes. Uh, they're all so bright and honest and cheerful and open with us. Uh, so that is the end of mm-hmm. chapter six. That is where we are leaving off for today. We are three, probably, if I had to guess, three episodes away from being done with this book. Boy, howdy, will it be nice. You know, I will say at the very least, it is a very different experience than the other books we have read. Not a better experience, but definitely a different experience. I will at least give him that. (laughs) I would would argue it's different. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I can disagree. But it's been, I mean, I think we've learned about a certain area of right-wing thought at the very least. There's something going on. We... We've learned about Mark. <laughs> I'm still trying to find something. <laughs> yeah, he quotes a lot of things that he hasn't read. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've learned a lot about a particular... Like, they're the people who haven't moved on to the new hot young kid, Tucker Carlson, yet, who are still hanging on to the old stuff they like, we're sort of learning that they're still stuck in a phase with him. I don't know, man. It's it's weird to me. This book is so strange in that I it's, it's not positing anything new. Yet it presents itself as a new uh, way of viewing the world, a new frame through which to view. Through a 2022. Yeah, it really is strange to me. But anyways, thank you all for listening, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over and become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Polly Hauptman. Melissa C., J.D., George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hailman, Utah Outcast, Paws, Brent Lee, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacraw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taru Takanen, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, Ricola! Goodbye. Bye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.